Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts 2, 14 through 47, challenging us to get off the bench and proclaim the gospel when we're called. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. So it's an interesting time right now in, in, in American politics, and so uh, it's not hard for me to reach into sort of the political archives to help make an analogy to kick the night off. Uh, guys that are my age, uh, I'm, I'm 58, tend to remember the Nixon era. And there was a guy named Chuck Colson that was part of the Nixon team, and he was a lawyer. He graduated from Brown University, built a legal career in politics. And at a young age, he found himself working for uh, Richard Nixon. He was a young guy. And for you guys that don't know who Richard Nixon was, he was a president of the United States. He was the only president. <laughs> he was the only president that resigned. He actually resigned from the presidency because he was under the threat of impeachment. And so he stepped down rather than be impeached. So in his final words, he was standing in front of a plane saying, I am not a crook, right? So, uh, and they called him Tricky Dick. So, uh, so Richard Nixon, right? And so Chuck Colson worked for him. In 1974, Chuck Colson was convicted of a crime related to what was called the Watergate scandal, which was part of a ruthless strategy that Chuck Colson devised uh, meant to destroy Nixon's political opponents. But prior to the conviction, Colson spent an evening with a guy named Tom Phillips, who at the time was the president of Raytheon. Raytheon was one of the largest defense contractors in the United States at that time. So the CEO of Raytheon is a born-again Christian. He's just accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he did it because he started reading a book called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. So he brings Chuck Colson into his home. Chuck's there to talk about legal stuff because he's his lawyer. He works for Raytheon. So he's going back to talk to, to Tom about legal stuff. And Tom says, I want to talk to you about my faith in Jesus Christ, right? This story could end right there and say, this is what a business guy ought to look like, right? As men of influence, we should be doing that, shouldn't we? And Tom did. And he sat Chuck down and he said, Chuck, I want you to hear this chapter on pride that C.S. Lewis written. So he read this chapter to, to, to Chuck Colson, and Chuck said it was, like a, it was like a thunderbolt hit me. And he wasn't religious. He never was going to church. He didn't care about church. Church was the last thing on his mind. But this book penetrated his soul like he couldn't believe. And he got done talking, and he said, Chuck, do you want to? pray with me? And he said, I, 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 no, I, I, I don't want to pray. And he got up and he walked out and he couldn't get his car started. He's fumbling with the key and he's, and he just, he got it started and he drove down like part of the block and he just couldn't drive. He's bawling and he pulls the car over and he's just weeping because he felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit say to him, Chuck, your pride is making you look down on men and a God of the universe is above you. And if you would look up, you would see there's somebody greater than you in this universe that you need to know. And he felt that, and he said, Jesus, I don't know who you are. I don't know why I'm praying this prayer, but I'm going to give my life to you. The next week, he went in to the prosecutors of the Watergate trials, 
This has been going on for a long time now, 40 months of trials. It's a very drawn out procedure. Chuck Colson goes in and gives them ammunition to prosecute him. Gives them everything they need. It has nothing to do with the Watergate trial. It's some stuff he's doing to some other guy who had leaked some papers. They take the information and are like, what's going on? What are you doing? He's like, I'm turning myself in. They didn't take long. They prosecuted him. He was in prison for seven months. But he went in as a born-again Christian, and the media roached him. They said, oh, my gosh, the guy's using his faith thing as a, as a way to get out. He's got some scam. He's pulling. He's got some angle. It's Chuck Colson, the hatchet man for Nixon. This guy's got some scam up his sleeve. Well, he didn't, you guys. Chuck Colson spent seven months in prison. He got out of prison, and he got so connected to the men doing exactly what we're doing tonight. He would sit in circles and study the Bible with the guys in the prison, just like we are right now. And he got so connected to them and so drawn to their hearts and their stories and their lives that when he got out, he completely got out of politics and he started Prison Fellowship International. He's got prison fellowship programs going in 116 countries around the world, you guys. He's reached thousands of prisoners. He's spoken in thousands of prisons all over the world. And all he does is bring Jesus Christ to these men. He loves them deeply. And the weight of his conviction was to get him convicted so he would be convicted. And he was. But it was through that power, that brokenness, that broken humility that Chuck found himself and found his purpose and his calling and that's exactly what he did, man. He, 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 it's unbelievable what this guy accomplished. 30 books. He's done thousands of speeches. He's won 15 honorary doctorates. In 1994, he won the, or 1993, he won the Templeton Award, which is a million-dollar prize for having the biggest spiritual impact globally. And just can you imagine the impact of this one man that came to Christ in the way he did? Chuck was a lot like the apostle Peter when Jesus found him. Tough, charismatic leader focused on making money and making a name for himself. And tonight we see the transformed Peter take center stage and move from serving himself to a sold-out life serving Jesus Christ. Peter, just like Chuck Colson, had a huge impact on the world, launched from being totally broken and humiliated. It's powerful, guys. We're going to study this tonight. My prayer tonight is this, that this lesson will challenge you to really look at what you're living for, that you will allow the Holy Spirit, let him talk to you guys like he talked to Chuck, to press into you and question your desires and your goals. We're going to look at Acts in three sections, chapter 2, 14, verse 13, 14 through 21. We're going to see Peter's defense of his disciples, 22 through 41 his indictment of the Jews, and then 42 through 47, the growth of the church will be what we look at last. So let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. It's a powerful story, Lord. We love the way you moved in Peter, and we love the way you moved in Chuck and Tom. Lord, move in us like that. Lord, help these stories convict us in ways that we never believed could happen. Penetrate our heart with your word, Lord. Slice it in ways that really helps us feel and hear you speak to us, Lord. Move us to be men of God that follow you, Jesus. 
We pray these things now. Father, help us listen and learn from you. In your name we pray, amen. In verses 14 through 21, we see Peter's defense of his disciples. Peter stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. I could stop right there, and we could just stay on that. I, I honestly, I didn't want to talk about anything else this night, but unfortunately, there's more text, so I'm forced to. But I don't know about you. I was so proud of Peter. I just, I, I couldn't, I was just like, look at Peter. He stood up. There's hundreds of thousands of Jews and the very Jews that killed Jesus in this crowd. And he stands up and he raises his voice and he addresses the crowd. And where did we see Peter blast publicly? Running from a slave girl that accused him of being a disciple of Jesus. That's the last time we saw him publicly. And then we see him privately on the shore, fishing, hiding from the world. And Jesus goes out, the resurrected Jesus, and says, Peter, Come here, come talk to me. And Jesus pulls him back to the shore. He's got a fish cooking on a fire. And he says, sit with me, I wanna to talk to you. And can you, can you imagine that? The last time you saw Jesus is when you said, I don't know him. That's the last time I looked in his eyes. And he looked me in the eyes and he's like, that's, that's how this is gonna end between you and me? And, he's, and he's, Peter's just distraught and he runs. And now he's looking at him in the eyes and he's looking right at him and he's like, the last time I saw you, you know what happened? What happened? And he asked him three questions over, the same question three times. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. And he's like, really? Because that's not what I saw. And that didn't look like what I saw, Peter. But in that three moments, Peter denied him three times. Jesus forgave him three times. He looked him in the eyes and said, I forgive you, Peter. But I want you to feed my sheep. I've got a job for you to do, and you got to do it, all right? But he forgave him, you guys. This is a critical part of the mission. This is a critical part of the story because as men... If we're gonna go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to be forgiven first. Because when you're broken and in sin and you're in shame and guilt, you can't carry the message of Jesus to anybody. All you wanna do is hide. And so Peter gets restored. He's with the resurrected Jesus. He fills Peter with the scripture. He walks the road with him and teaches him what all the scripture means. So it's not coincidental that he draws the prophecy of Joel and says, I know what this means. The guy that wrote it told me, right? I mean, it's powerful. He's radically changed because he's encountered the resurrected Jesus. He's radically empowered because he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's forgiven. He's not dealing with his guilt and shame any longer. These are the three pillars of what a good man looks like that stands up and speaks the word of God. And he gets up and boldly proclaims to the very people that killed Jesus. He boldly proclaims what he saw and what he heard. And the first thing he said is, my men aren't drunk. These people are not drunk. It's 9 a.m. They're not drunk, all right? So that's a powerful thing right there. He's looking at these people and he's mad at them for calling his people drunk. So this challenge when you stand up, this is the first place. If you want to just look and stop, go back to this. 
Peter stood up, raised his voice, addressed the crowd, and stand up and ask yourself this question. How will I stand up and speak when I'm called? What am I going to look like? When I'm called, when the ball comes to me, when it's time for me to play and speak the name of Jesus, what am I going to do? Am I going to be afraid? Am I going to be beat down by my own guilt and shame? Am I going to hide? Am I going to be so uninformed about the scripture that I don't know what to say? Am I not going to be filled with the Spirit because I haven't spent any time with the Lord or with my brothers? What am I going to look like when the moment comes and I'm supposed to stand up and boldly speak and address the crowd? What do I got to look like? That's what you should ask yourself. What am I going to look like? And then he says, let me tell you what the prophet Joel said. I want you to hear what he said because it's going to explain what you're looking at. You see these men and these women prophesying and speaking? There's a reason they're doing that. And Joel explained it hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. And what he said was, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit spirit on all people. In the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all people. What do you think he's telling these guys? The last days are now. They've started. A new era has come. It's been launched. You're in it. The last days have now begun, guys. It's unfolding before your eyes. That's what he's telling him. And these men are filled with the Spirit, just as the prophet Joel would predict. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and you can be too, and others will be filled with the Spirit. You're going to see it. Young men are going to see visions. Sons and daughters and servants are going to have prophecies coming out of their mouth. This is what's going to happen. We are in the final stages when Jesus returned. That's what he's telling them. These people got to be going, what are you talking about? This is crazy stuff. And he's saying, this is why these people are acting the way they are. And I'm filled with that same Holy Spirit. And guys, we are in the final stages before Jesus returns. We are in that time. It's been 2,000 years since they spoke these words. It, time hasn't gone away. It's, it's, there's more time's been consumed. We've never been closer to Jesus Christ's return than we are now. And what would make you think that the signs of the time don't tell you it's closer than it was then? It is. It's happening. Our young men are having visions. Our old men are dreaming dreams. People are filled with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who comes to Jesus Christ can have the Spirit in them. He's given them to us. That's what he said. Those things are happening now. It's happening now, you guys. Jesus is coming. And he said, Look for the signs in Matthew 24. Look for the signs. Notice when they're coming. You're going to see wars and rumors of wars. And you're going to see famines and earthquakes. I did some research on this. In 1920, from 1920 to 1960, there were somewhere between five and ten natural disasters globally every year. In 1963, it started to go up. You know what it is now? Over 400 natural disasters a year globally. You don't think something's changed? And it sure as heck ain't global warming. So it's God, right? And so scientists will tell you it's global warming. Christians will say, are you kidding? It's birth pains. It's signs of the time. Jesus wrote it in Matthew 24. He said this 2,000 years ago. Open your eyes. It's happening right now. Things are happening. And he said, be ready when I come back. No, the signs when I return, I'm going to tell you what to look for. The moon's going to go red. The sun's going to go dark. You're going to hear a loud trumpet sound, and you're going to see me in all my glory come in the clouds. 
And as Christians, we're going to know what that is. Everybody else is going to be crying and screaming and afraid and running. And we're going to say, Lord Jesus, come. We're ready. Welcome home. Father, take us to be with you. That's what we're going to say, guys, because we will have been through a time of tribulation and we're going to be ready for Jesus to come, aren't we? So this is what he's pointing them to, guys. Jesus is coming soon. Back to this earth to judge and to redeem his people. And if you haven't read it, read Matthew 24 and Revelation 19 and understand what you're going to see when that comes. Guys, there's men in this room right now who have had visions, young men who've had visions. And I've heard their visions. I've listened to their stories. And there's guys that have seen or heard God say, the end is near and you will see the end of this time. That's possible, you guys. For guys that are saying that's, I don't know, that can't be possible. Why can't that be possible? Why couldn't God do that? Why wouldn't it be now? What makes you not believe? You gotta ask yourself that. So we should be doing the work of being prepared and we should be doing the work of preparing people for the Lord's return, you guys. These, these apostles, Peter was excited, he was passionate. He died on a cross upside down saying, he's coming back, he's coming back. I saw the resurrected Jesus, he's coming back. He's telling this people, he's telling them what he saw. These guys are not drunk. This is the truth. And many of us will walk out shaking our heads tonight going, I don't know, man. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Why? And all he's saying is, can you have that same sense of excitement and passion and immediacy to go share the gospel with people that you don't know? Who is it in your life that's not calling on the name of the Lord? He said, in those times, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who is it that you know that's not calling on the name of the Lord, that's in your life, that's in your sphere, that's in your family? Do you have a passion? Do you care? Do you want to intercede for them? Because he's coming back soon, you guys. He's been gone for a while, and he said, I will come back, and he's coming back. Who are you going to intercede for this week? That's who you got to be asking about. God, put that person on my heart, and let me stand up, and let me boldly proclaim and not be afraid to speak the name of God. In verses 21 through 41, we see Peter's indictment of the Jews, and he makes it really clear, you guys. Jesus clearly was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. He's standing in front of a totally Jewish audience, many of who actually were the ones that killed Jesus. They demanded that he be put on the cross, Barabbas be released. They were the same people. They're sitting in the crowd. He's talking to these people. He knows who they look like. They know him. They tried to kill him too. He ran. And he's looking at him saying, the Messiah came. He was here. He was the one that the prophets predicted. You saw him. You saw his miracles. You saw him resurrected too. You know what God did. You saw it for yourself. And instead, you killed him. King David predicted that this guy would come. In King David's Psalm, in 16, he isn't talking about himself because his bones are buried right over there. So you know David predicted this, yet you still killed this man. And he was the Messiah. He was Lord. He was Christ. You people killed him. Can you imagine how that sounded? Many of the people thought he was crazy. But many, they were just shocked going, are you kidding? We missed it? 
They were having an incredible experience. He didn't leave them there, though. He convicted of their sin, and then he told them, this is what the gospel message is. You have to repent. You have to repent. You've got to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and he will send his Holy Spirit to be with you and your children and for generations to come. This same Holy Spirit is what you see in these men. He will come to you and save you. That's what he tells these people. Makes it crystal clear to them, so he gives them the hope. But he didn't leave out the hard truth, you guys. He did not leave out the hard truth. 3,000 people were cut to the heart with this message. God's word preached by God's people, filled with the Holy Spirit, free from the guilt of their own sin and shame, convict people of their sin. That's what happens. God chose a lowly fisherman, an uneducated fisherman, a business guy, a hardworking business guy, to stand in front of thousands and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. So if you're telling me that's your excuse, you have none. I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to, I didn't go to get my divinity degree. I, he did, neither did Peter. And Peter changed the entire world. If Peter doesn't do what he does, we don't have a church, you guys. We don't have our salvation. Because of Peter, we stand where we do. He stood up and spoke, and he wasn't. So you can't use that excuse. We are called to take the scripture that we've been taught. We've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. We've been given the scripture. We stand on the apostles' teachings, and we're to take that and share that just like Peter. You have all you need. You don't need any more. You don't need to be fed anymore. You don't need any more degrees. You don't need any more Greek. You don't need any more Hebrew. You don't. God's given you everything you need to stand in front of whoever you need to and say, I learned this lesson from this Bible passage this night, and it says these things, and this is who Jesus is, and I want you to hear it. I want you to hear this. You have everything you need. We've been given all we need. So how will you get prepared for when it's your time to stand up and teach? How are you going to get prepared? What are you going to do to prepare for that? Peter did as he spent time with Jesus, learned what God's word meant. You can do that as well. Spend time learning what God's words mean with your brothers here. But you don't need to overfeed, you guys. You don't have to go to church for 20 years to learn. You don't. You just got to take what God gave you and teach it the next day, and it will help you learn the scriptures. The next thing we see is that Peter was convicted of sin, and he convicted others of sin by speaking the word of God to them. Peter was convicted of his sin. He repented and he turned and went the other direction. And it says in here that you are gonna come to Christ, you've gotta repent of your sin and turn and go the other way. That's what he tells these people. And when we do that, guys, something changes. And what a lot of guys believe when they become Christian is that we stop sinning. And that's not true. 1 John 1, 1 or 8 through 9 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins. And the brother of Jesus, James, said, confess your sins to each other, your brothers, and they'll pray for you. And the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And this is what he calls us to, guys. You have to confess the sins in your heart to your brothers. When you sit in a room by yourself, God will listen to your sins, and he'll forgive you. But the power comes when you sit with another brother and say, you're never going to believe what I was thinking last night. I'm ashamed. I can't, I can't believe what I was doing. And you say to that brother what you were doing and you confess it and you beg for forgiveness 
from holy God. And that brother puts his hand on you and says, dear Lord, forgive my brother of his sin. And then you don't go out and repeat it again. You turn and go the other way. But the problem is, what do we do? We fill the other way with nothing. We just go the other way and we look and we don't do anything different. And so when you do nothing different, what do you do? What you used to do. You go right back to doing what you did before. So you keep sinning. So you repent and you go the other way, which means you choose a different path. You pick something to put in its place. Instead of watching pornography, watch something else. In fact, don't watch anything. Go read something, right? Or go bicycling or go work out, but don't go work out with a gym where the girls are. We had to talk about that tonight. Stop that. Get the heck out of there, right? Bad place. Unconfessed sin blocks the Holy Spirit and puts you on the bench, guys. Unconfessed sin blocks the Holy Spirit and it puts you on the bench. Guilt and shame stops us from standing and raising our voice to proclaim Christ because we're guilty and we feel it and we don't want to be a hypocrite. You know why people call Christians hypocrites? Is because they watch us sin and then they see us hide. They see us hide instead of saying, I did do that and I am ashamed of that and I am guilty of that and I hope you'll forgive me of that. That is not who God's called me to be. The power of of forgiveness and confession is overwhelming because it frees you from the guilt and the shame. And then you've got the power back. The Holy Spirit is not blocked and you can stand up, you can proclaim and confess the name of Jesus with no guilt overweighting you. And I guarantee you, for most of us, that's what keeps us from standing up and professing the name of Jesus Christ. We don't want to get caught or busted in the sin that we live in. And we run from our sin, guys. Call out your sin. Know what it is. What's going on in your thought life? For most of us guys, it starts in our head. If you start to deal with what's in your head, the sin will come right along with it and share it with your brothers. Not with them to carry it, but for you to confess it and turn away from it. It is not your brother's job to carry your sin. It's his job to go to the throne of grace and pray for you and intercede on your behalf, but it is not his responsibility to keep you from doing it again. That's on you. What sin against a brother or a friend are you carrying that you need to confess right now? What are you carrying? What sin that you're carrying against another brother or a friend that you need to go confess right now? Or what sin are you keeping hidden that you've had hidden for a while that needs to be confessed? Where's your hidden sin that you really need to get out and share And the last thing we see is the growth of this new church in verses 42 through 47. And it gives this list of incredible things that these guys did. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They go to Bible study, guys. They listen to sermons. They're immersed in God's word, devoted to fellowship for meeting each other, committed to a group of guys. That's what you do here. They didn't just come once once in a while. They did it every day. They weren't just once in a while guys in the word all the time, with their brothers all the time, eating food all the time, praying together all the time, filled with awe and wonder as they saw miracles. Guys, you know when you see miracles is when you start serving. When you serve God, you start to see miracles of God. When you don't do anything, when you serve in no way, you see no miracles because you're not where God is. You're not where he is. God's where God is, there's miracles happening and I guarantee you'll see them and you'll wanna come tell somebody. But that's what happens when you serve, guys. You see the miracles of God, and the best place to share those miracles is in this room, in your group. Tell the guys in your group, because then they have awe of God. Oh my gosh, God's doing that. Yes, 
He's on the move, man. He is stinking on the move, and I saw him working. That's what gives us faith and beliefs. Got to tell guys, right? You see that. They're together. You know what it means when it says they were together? Together emotionally. They were connected as emotionally. They were not just connected by some, you know, hey, we go to the same church thing, right? No, these guys were connected. Their hearts were connected. You know what that feels like. I'm with these guys. I'm in it with these guys. And we're hoping to give you that experience here. Don't quit before it happens. You got to stay in it. If you quit, you're never going to experience the connection, you guys. There's this great list. Read through this list, you guys. God grows the church when we are committed to Jesus and to each other. This is what happens, you guys. Did you see what happened? The church grew by numbers daily. Does anybody know what's happening in the church in America? It's shrinking. The church in America is decreasing in size. Here's the numbers. Pew Research, 65% of Americans affiliated with Christianity. That used to be 77% 10 years ago. Today, 65%, 77% 10 years ago. It's declining rapidly. 49% of millennials identify as Christians. Only 22% attend church. And of those 22%, only a third are men. 6% of millennial men are attending church. What's happening to the church? You see these big churches like the one we're standing in, you think, oh, these churches are exploding. They're moving people from the old denominations into these buildings. But the amount of people coming to Christ is decreasing in America. We're not reaching the lost. It's not happening, you guys, because guys like us are on the sidelines. And Jesus needs us out, not in these buildings. He needs us out. And he needs us reaching people. He wants us to. So what's missing from your daily life, the life that these guys showed in these verses that would reflect in the lives of the people around you so they would look at you and go, that guy's different. I want to be near him. I want to be around him. What's missing in your life that you need to put in there that would draw them into Jesus? What do you need to do? What in this pattern do you need to follow to help get behind Jesus Christ and draw men in so they want to be part of your life? Men should be coming to you and you should be bringing them to things that you're involved in and bring them to Jesus Christ and they should be unsaved men, lost guys that don't know who Jesus Christ is. If you have a country club of Christians around you, who's gonna save the lost? We gotta get out there, guys. It's us. He's calling us to that task. Who would ever know a guy like me who grew up dirt poor in Texas? We were dirt poor, guys. And I found shoes at Kmart was a highlight of my life. I remember for the first time going to Kmart and I got to buy a pair of shoes that matched. And I was so excited. I had to go pick shoes out of a bin at a thrift store and try to find two that matched when I was a little boy. And I was not well educated. My mom wasn't there either. My, my grandma wasn't. We didn't have a dad. We didn't have nothing, man. We had nothing. Who would ever think God would take an uneducated guy like me and give me what I needed to stand in front of you and boldly proclaim the name of Jesus. Who would think that? Well, he did that with Peter too. My pastor used to call me a Peter, and I'm damn proud of it. I am. I'm proud of it. Some people thought Peter was bold and brash and harsh. Well, so am I. I say stupid things. I do dumb things, and I'm okay with that. Chuck Colson said, men, you should work really, really hard to become the best you can at your work. Give all you've got. Work to become the best in everything you do. Be the best in your workplace. But remember this. 
God will accomplish more with you when you are broken and under his control than you'll ever accomplish striving to strive your own success. He can do way more with us guys, more broken men than we'll ever do when we're trying to drive our own success. And I wanna be there, I wanna be that guy. And that's what Peter does tonight, guys. He was transformed. So what's your life mission? And I hope you'll ask yourself, Peter's became to reach men. He said, I'm gonna make you fisher men, Peter, and Peter did. So what's your life mission? What is God calling you to? 